All right, open your Bibles up tonight with me to the book of Acts, chapter number 9. And then we will also be going to the book of Psalms. But let's start off tonight in Acts, chapter number 9. A few weeks ago, I preached to you a message about staying refreshed. And I took the text out of Romans, chapter number 15, where Paul had asked the church to pray for him. Uh, that when he saw them and came to them, that he with them might be refreshed. And tonight, I want to, uh, you, want you to look with me in Acts chapter 9, please. Tonight, I, I want to preach on the subject, if I had to put a title to it, and I'm not real good at that, but I would entitle it, How to Maintain Your Momentum. How to Maintain Your Momentum. Did you know that the word momentum actually comes from the a Latin word, the word, excuse me, the word moment. You know, the word moment is in the word momentum, but the word moment actually comes from the Latin word that we use for momentum. And what it means is a passage of time where you are moved or affected by a certain influence, whether it be inwardly or outwardly. I would say that if you've ever been involved with any kind of sports, you understand the importance of what we call momentum. Uh, you can see a whole game change in a heartbeat when one team who's getting beat up and beat down, something happens uh, and something affects their mind and something affects their spirit. And all of a sudden, the same guys that were getting pushed down the field, all of a sudden, are pushing the other team down the field. And a lead that might have been safe, you know, I've seen some sports teams, specifically the Houston Oilers years ago, that had a huge lead in the playoff game. I mean, like 40-something to three at halftime. And then by the end of the game, they lost the game because the momentum had shifted to the other team. Well... That is a psychological thing that has to do with sports. But I will also say that it's very real. And a coach, a good coach, can recognize that, whether he's a basketball coach or whether he's a football coach. He can watch a game, and he can see the ebb and flow of a game, and he can tell when the other team has the momentum. And so he he may do something, like call a timeout or something, to try to stop that if he possibly can because he can see it. It's invisible, but yet it is real. And it is psychological, but it's not make-believe. It is something that is real. And the same thing can affect not, not necessarily psychologically, but spiritually in the life of a believer. And we call it revival. Now, we call it where God revives us and energizes us and where maybe we kind of were lethargic. Now we're, we're willing to, to move and to do some things that we were hesitant to be doing in the past, even though we knew it needed to be done. Now, look with me in Acts chapter number 9. I just want to read an example of this here. This is where the church uh, was, uh, you might say, awakened and, and moved in the right direction. It is, this is spiritual in nature, but don't think that spiritual things uh, do not affect our emotions and our psychic, our, our psychological areas of our lives. God made us body, soul, and spirit. So in Acts chapter 9, Paul has, this is when his name was Saul. And man, he was a bad dude. I mean, he was taking Christians and having them arrested and he was testifying against them. And some of them were even being put to death. He was there when Stephen was stoned to death and he held the garments of those who cast the stones and he was for Stephen being put to death. And he was a guy who was all in no matter what he was doing, good or bad, and he thought he was serving God, but he was in it with all of his might. And I like men who get into things with all of their might. And the Bible says here in Acts chapter 9 that the, uh, look with me, he has a miraculous conversion. The Lord reveals himself to him on the road to Damascus. He sees the Lord and God saves him along that way there and he gets baptized and then he becomes a part of the church. And straightway he began to preach that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, even in the Jewish synagogues. 
you'll notice it says in verse number 22 of chapter 9, But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews, which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. So now he was the killer, and now he is being sought to be killed. I'd say that's quite a conversion. I'd say that's quite a change in direction. Verse 24 says, But their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. So Brother Ron taught us to say that uh, that's not by chance. That wasn't luck. That was the providence of God. But notice something now. He is now being introduced to the church, the whole church. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, the church that was gathering at Jerusalem, the Bible says he essayed or he attempted or he tried to join himself to the disciples. So he's trying to join this church here now. The greatest man in the New Testament, other than the Lord Jesus Christ, who's just been converted, is attempting to join the church at Jerusalem, and they are afraid of him. And the Bible says it was come to Jerusalem. He essayed to join himself the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, and believed not that he was a disciple. Now listen, they had been praying for his conversion, I promise you. He was converted. God can save the hardest person that you No, that you think that God cannot save them and change their life. God is in the saving business and He is in the changing business. He can do it. And the scripture says that, however, it's amazing how that we can be praying about something, then God answer it pretty quickly, and then we wonder whether or not to, you know, that that God did it. The scripture says that they were afraid of Him. So I want you to think of the word petrified. The church at this time was petrified. Verse 27, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto him how he had seen in the, been seen the Lord in the way and how he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas is kind of the go-between there to introduce him to this group. They feel comfortable. They trust Barnabas. Verse 28, And he was with them when he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. So things are calming down. He spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. Which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. So he goes back where he came from, to Tarsus. Now look at this, verse 31. Remember the church at the beginning of this, the atmosphere of this church when Saul came into it, they were petrified. Verse 31 says, Then had the churches rest, Throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. Man, that guy was terrorizing these Christians. He really was a terrorist. And he was after them. God saves him, changes him. They see that God has changed him. And the scripture said, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. And it says, And were edified. So you had the church petrified. Now you have the church edified. All right, now watch this. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. So they were petrified. When you're petrified, what do you normally do? You just kind of freeze. And then they were edified. That means they learned something, they were taught something, they saw something, they felt something, and the scripture says then that they were multiplied. I'd say if they're multiplied, then they're moving forward. I'd say this church has some momentum, some momentum. But I want you to notice that, you know, if somebody walks up to you and pushes you down a walkway, well, you have some momentum, but that's not exactly what I'm talking about right here. What I'm talking about here now was this momentum was because of what God did and then what they did in response to what God did in their life. What happens a lot of times is the Lord will stir our hearts. I'm, or maybe we just got saved or maybe somebody just got revived and man, we're ready to go and we're, we're excited and we're all engaged and we're all involved and then 
we just begin to kind of drift away. We lose that momentum. All right, now I want you to notice what they did to maintain that momentum and how that as a result of that, the church began to multiply. I've never seen a book written. I've seen a lot of books written on church growth. Ten ways to grow your church or seven ways of how to double your church. I mean, it's it's just a lot of salesman tactics is really basically what it is. But I haven't seen one written on how the church at Jerusalem multiplied. Because the Bible says that what happened with them is that they walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. And as a result of that, the church multiplied. Now, I want you to turn with me to Psalm 34. I want Psalm 34. Now, we're going to study this psalm for just a little bit tonight. And I want to show you something there because I think you understand the importance of the person of the Holy Spirit and Him comforting you and Him encouraging you, Him being real to you and you being responsive to Him, not grieving Him, not quenching Him. He is the most important person in this room. He is the one that we desire to never offend. And never to grieve, never to quench the Spirit of God. And so, I think you understand that. And we do that by by being sensitive to Him and, and listening to His voice. That God consciousness that is about us. And we heard a lot about that this week from Brother Ron. About when the Lord nudges you, when He speaks to your heart and you responding to that. Look in Psalm 34 with me now. But I want to talk to you tonight specifically. The Lord gave me some things out of this psalm that I feel like you need tonight that will help you tonight, tomorrow night, and next week, and the next week. I think it's some things. I know it works. I know this works. I know this works. If you put it to work, if you apply these truths in your life, you will be able to maintain any momentum that God has established in your spiritual growth. If you do not do these things, you'll find that your spiritual growth is going to begin to slow down and you're going to begin to lose some of that energy that you had and some of that momentum that you had. Okay, now look in Psalm 34. And bear with me now as we look at this psalm for just a second. If you were to divide this psalm up correctly you'll find that the first uh, 10 verses, the first 10 verses uh, really is a song and it's more like a devotion as you read it. But the second part of this psalm is more like a sermon and it is more doctrinal in nature. Yes, you should sing first. I think that is proper. And then I think you should that think that singing opens your heart up for you then to be able to be taught the truth. I think that singing and praising God tenderizes the heart in order for the Lord then to slip some truth in there that may or may not be pleasant to you. But it will make it more palatable because your heart is tender toward God. Look what he says here in Psalm 34. Look at the song. Let's, let's say it. it's devotional in nature. Sixteen times he mentions, uses the phrase, the Lord. But look in verse 1. He said, I will bless the Lord when I feel like it. Is that what your Bible says? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Praise is always good when you got somebody else around you that's willing to do the same. It's amazing how you can sing by yourself and enjoy it, but it's a blessing when you got two or three more around you that just kind of join in and sing with you. And he said this, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. This is a song. David is singing this to us. Look in verse 7. 
The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. O taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O fear the Lord, ye is saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. There's a common phrase used here in these verses. And it has to do with what I read to you in the book of Acts. It says, They walked in the comfort of the Holy Ghost and in the fear of the Lord. In the fear of the Lord. Now, this psalm is letting you know that as you sing, he is mentioning what God does for those who choose to fear him. All right, now watch this. You're in Psalm 34. Keep your hand there because we're coming right back to it. Turn over to Psalm 103 with me if you would. Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Have you ever heard the phrase, he's a God-fearing man? You ever heard that phrase? Have you ever said that about someone? That's a God-fearing woman. That's a God-fearing teenager. Well, how did you measure that? How do you know that? What did you use to determine that? The scripture says in Psalm 103 how much the Lord responds and loves and refreshes and protects and provides and fellowships with and honors those who choose to fear the Lord. And it is a choice. The Bible says in Psalm 103, you'll notice this. It says uh, in verse number 11, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. I love mercy. I believe in extending it because I know that I need it. And the Lord said that He would show Himself merciful to those who show mercy. Look please in verse number 13. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Look down in verse 17. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. All right, go back with me please to Psalm 34. And so the the man or David introduces us in this psalm with a song introducing to us this again this subject of the fear of the Lord and what it does for you and how it will help you to maintain your momentum. Now look with me please in verse number 11. Let's get down to where the rubber hits the road, where the, where the meat of the subject is. Are you a God-fearing teenager? Are you a God-fearing husband? Are you a God-fearing man? You say, oh, Brother Roger, I fear the Lord. Well, the Bible says that, that over in the book of James, that even the devils believe in God and they tremble. And there is a certain, you might say, fear of what God may do, but yet really no respect for His ways. That's the wrong kind of fear. The kind of fear we're talking about is one of respect and one of awe and one of reverence. One that motivates you to trust Him. One that motivates you to obey Him. Walking in the fear of the Lord. Man, I tell you what, I want a church full of God-fearing people. It does not take long to be around a person to tell that they have no reverence and no respect for the things of God, though they might mention His name. Now watch what he says in Psalm 34. Look in verse 11. He said, come you children, hearken unto me. All right. He said, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. All right. So here we, now we have biblical instructions on what does it mean to fear the Lord. This is not the only things that are true about the fear of the Lord, but these will do for tonight. And it will help you and help me. There are three things here 
And if you can remember these three things, I'm going to mention them in order, and then we're going to give you a few verses to follow up with them to verify because if it's in the Bible and if it's true, it'll show up somewhere else. Amen? Anybody can pick a verse out and make it say what they want it to say. But the Word of God will always defend itself. It will always stand. Truth will always stand an examination of the Bible. <coughs> Look at Psalm 34. There are three things here. A sermon that is doctrinal found in the next few verses. If you're going to maintain your momentum, if God gave you some this week, if the Lord gave you some this week, there are three things you're going to have to practice in your walk with God. And if you want the comfort of the Holy Ghost, if you want the power of God upon your life, if you want the peace of God to stay with you, there's three things here that you're going to have to practice. I hope you have ears to hear. It's amazing how Jesus would speak to his disciples and they, they didn't really believe what he said about them and what they needed to do until later. And I don't want to have to repeat the third grade. You understand? Now look with me in Psalm 34. Three things. Number one. The fear of the Lord requires of us that our communication must be restrained. Our communication with other people must be restrained. Number two, our company with other people must be restricted. Number three, Our conflict with others must be resolved. Are you listening? If you want to walk in the fear of the Lord, and I'm talking about doing these things because you fear Him and you know that He knows what's best, and you want the Holy Ghost to walk with you because the Holy Ghost is not going to uh, comfort you if you're not going to choose the fear of the Lord. He's just not going to do that. He doesn't comfort just anybody. Now, the Bible says in Psalm 34, look at this now. Where'd you get that? Well, it says this. Verse 12 says, What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? That's almost a rhetorical question. Meaning, who doesn't want that? Who does not want a long life with good days? And with a good life and a happy life. Who doesn't want a life overall that is just good? I mean, where you can get up each day and say, man, God's good to me. And man, I've just had a good day. I've had a good week. I know sometimes some of you, uh, you let little things just ruin your whole week. But you, you but, but overall, has God been good to you? Yes. But look what he says here. Verse 13. Here's the first point. He said, keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Now, if you fear the Lord, you must not ever underestimate the power of what you say. You cannot talk freely. You cannot text freely. You cannot Facebook freely. And all the other social medias, dot, 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 dots, that you may be a part of, you cannot participate in those things without restricting yourself and restraining yourself in the light of the presence of God. This is where you're going to begin to lose your momentum. When you get around and talking with people in the, about the wrong things, about things that are really none of your business, about things of which you do not have all of the facts. Of where that you listen when you shouldn't and you talk when you shouldn't. It matters to God. Do you understand this? It matters. According to Ephesians chapter number 4, it is our communication that grieves the Holy Ghost. Now look with me in Psalm 34. Look what he says. Do you want to see some good days? Do you want? He said, I'm going to teach you about the fear of the Lord. Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. 
Turn, now, keep your hand right where you are and turn over to the Scriptures with me and look in the book of Malachi. Boy, this is powerful right here. The book of Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. You can talk yourself out of whatever the Lord may have given you this week by getting in the wrong conversation with somebody or maybe with the wrong kind of person. Look in Malachi chapter number 3 with me if you would. This is so important. I believe this. I believe it. Malachi 3 verse 13. Look at this. He said, Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Does that mean God's listening to what you're saying in your private conversations? Do you believe that God sees what you text to somebody? The Bible says, Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. And yet you have the audacity to say to him, what have we spoken so much against thee? Well, he said, I'll tell you what. You have said it is vain to serve God. Do not communicate with people. Do not be friends with people who think that it is a waste of time to serve God. You're wasting your time that you will never get back with those people. And they are going to slow down and stop your momentum. And the scripture says, your words have been stout against me. He said, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? Well, you said it was vain to serve God. What profit is it we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? God hears that. He hears your negative attitude about serving God. But it's a waste of time and energy and gifts and money, etc. And he says in verse 15, he says, And now we call the proud happy. You see, you see some of these music entertainers, some of these movie entertainers. You see people's, uh, you might say their perspective or persona that they want you to see on Facebook and you know they're not living for God, you know they're not right with God and they portray this thing that they are so happy. Those who want to promote the gay agenda, they'll show a couple of gay folks and they are so happy and they'll show a couple of Christian husband and wife and they're fighting like cats and dogs. All of that is a persona that they, it's an image that they want to promote. And they call the proud. You say, why are you calling them proud? They may be humble gay people. No, they're not. Because you cannot go against what God hates and tell me that you are humble. It cannot be true. All right? And you could pick any, I could have picked any other type of sin. That's just one of them. Okay? All right? Just for a shock factor, that's all. Just picking that out. Okay? There's, there's multitudes of things like that. But look what he says. The proud. Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. Yea, that tempt God are even delivered. And what you're saying to other people is, listen, you're wasting your time taking a stand at college. You're wasting your time taking a stand at work. You're just going to lose money. You're just going to lose your job. You're just going to lose business. Man, God don't do anything to those people that are wicked and lie and steal and cheat. Sure seems that way with somebody like Nancy Pelosi. Sure seems that way with somebody like Chuck Schumer. Sure seems that way with somebody like Hillary Clinton. Sure seems that way when you look at some things, but yet I know that... I'll show you something in just a minute. I'll prove that to you in just a moment. All right? But look what it says here. Things are not always as they appear. I promise you that. And God does not deal with things on your time schedule. All right, look in verse 16. I love this. It says, Then they that feared the Lord, you see that phrase? Then that feared the Lord, do you fear God? Spake often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them. He says, A book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine. Boy, I want to be one of his. Saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels. Wow. And I will spare them. He's talking about judgment. 
as a man that spareth his own son that serveth him. Then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. God just simply letting you know that judgment day is coming. But our communication has to be restrained. Don't, and listen, most of the time it's going to happen subtly, and it's going to be of somebody that you let your guard down around, and they're going to have a negative attitude and a negative spirit, and they're going to rob you of your momentum. And you're going to have to avoid that because you choose to fear God. You choose. You say, well, Brother Roger, I just, I don't have many friends, and if you're telling me I have to give them up, I'm going to be all alone. You won't be all alone. God will see to that. God will see to that. All right, turn with me back to the Psalm 34 real quick, okay? But our communication must be restrained. If we're going to maintain our momentum, that's why the coach sometimes wants unity on his team. And if he's got somebody that's always sowing discord on the team, he may be talented, but he sends them away. The guy who's won probably more Super Bowls than anybody else is Bill Belichick. And I don't necessarily like the New England Patriots, to be honest with you. But I know one thing, if he's got somebody on his team that's dissenting and causing division, he doesn't care how talented they are, he sends them on down the road. And he'd rather get somebody else in there that cooperates and has a positive attitude and works and does what he's told, and then they win championships. Whereas you may have another team that's greatly talented, but they can't get along. And I'm just here to tell you that people who are negative about the things of God are not going to help you. In your walk with Christ. All right, now look with me in Psalm 34. Our communication has to be restrained. And our company has to be restricted. Look what he says in verse 14. He says, depart from evil and do good. Now verse 13 is a positive and negative. Keep thy tongue from evil. That means you, 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 you don't be saying some things and you speak the truth, but at the same time, don't receive it. Verse 14. Depart from evil, depart from evil, and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. There's two things in that verse. One of it has to do with the company that you restrict yourself in. The other one has to do with the conflicts that you resolve. Now look with me in Psalm 26 real quick, all right? Psalm 26, and I won't be much longer. Psalm 26, look with me in verse number 1. Your company must be restricted. I don't mean that you shouldn't fellowship with as many people as you possibly can. I do mean that it needs to be your regular, consistent people that influence you needs to be restricted. All right, look in verse, <coughs> excuse me, Psalm 26 and verse 1. Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. Well, that'd be awesome if you didn't backslide. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins in my heart, for thy loving kindness is before mine eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. And look at this. He says, I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go in with Dissemblers. Now, dissemblers are people who hide their true feelings with nice words and appearances, but their heart is not with God. They do not fear the Lord. And they don't... It's amazing how people can come to church and then when you, when you say, well, this is what the Bible says, and when it comes right down to the nitty-gritty, a word affects their family or their finances or their feelings that they are taken aback by what the Scriptures actually say. And this is where the Lord says here, listen, do not sit with people and do not hang around people who do not care anything literally daily of what the Bible actually has to say of how we should live. I'm a Bible believer. I also let the Bible dictate how I live, not my feelings but how the Bible, what does it say? What does it say? What does it say? Okay, tell me what the Bible says. If I'm preaching something wrong, tell me. If I am doing something wrong, tell me, show me in the Word of God. I fear the Lord. I want His blessings. I want His fellowship. 
I want his hand on my life. Brother Mike, I want him to hear my voice. And if, he, if he's going to hear my voice, I have to listen to his voice. The scripture says, He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination to God. And the Lord is simply saying that if you're not going to listen to me, then I'm offended that you would think that I would listen to you. In Psalm 34, and I'll tell you, this stuff is so good. I want you to look back with me now if you would. It'll help us. In Psalm 34, Psalm 34, just practical stuff. I'm a practical preacher. Doctrinal. And he says our communication must be restrained. Our company must be restricted. And you'll notice the second part of verse 14. He says, depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. This is where our conflicts must be resolved. You think the Lord knows how we are? I think He does. Our conflicts. He says, seek peace. Pursue it. I'm going to do my very best to get along with you. If you'll let me. Amen. We're going to do our very best. We don't have to agree on everything. We really don't. But whatever divides us, let it be the truth. You know what? Truth won't divide us if we fear God. It'll bring us together. Now, there's a whole lot more I can say about this right here. But, and, and I would encourage you to read this psalm maybe tonight or maybe tomorrow in your private time of how that God's eyes and God's ears and God's face is upon those who fear God. And His ears are open. And I'm, I'm so glad that that is so true. Look in verse 15. And I'm fixing to move on to something else about this thing about conflicts. But he says in verse 15, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and His ears are open unto their cry. Look at verse 17. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. Look in verse 18. The Lord is nigh unto all them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Man, I want God's favor on my life. And I know that if I'm going to maintain my momentum, if I'm going to stay refreshed, if I am going to continue on and not be one of those that just falls by the wayside, I don't want to be one of those. I don't want to be like one of those uh, Roman candles, you know, that they buy on the 4th of July. And man, it, it, it blows up and it's pretty for a little while and it outlasts some of the other fire, fireworks, but eventually it just fades out into the night. I don't want to be that kind of Christian. I want to be that kind of Christian that gets in the ring. The Bible refers to the Christian as being like in, an athlete and being like a wrestler. And I want to be in there, Brother Scott, and I want to be still fighting when the last bell goes off. Now, I'm sure, Brother Jason, that I'm going to get knocked down a few times. And by the way, if I get knocked out, would y'all please kind of refresh me just a little bit, get me back up on my feet, love on me, help me? Because I don't want to get knocked out of the ring. I don't want to quit. I want to run my race, finish my course. I want the Lord to be able to say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now, I want you to take the time to turn to the book of Philippians chapter 4 real quick. I'm going to show you what you can do now about this last point. I've been here 25 years. I know I don't look that old, but I've been here 25 years. And I wish to God that I had the power, the healing power over all these 25 years to resolve every single conflict that people have had in this church. And not just this church, but in every church. There is nothing special about this church in that resolve, in that realm. I think maybe that we might win a few more than we lose compared to some other churches, but why would we compare ourselves to other churches? But what a blessing it would be if believers could resolve their conflicts. Well, they, I'm, I'm telling you this, if you don't, if you don't watch what you say, and if you don't watch who you hang around, 
And if you don't try to resolve some of your conflicts, you're going to lose your momentum. And I'll tell you what you'll lose. Now, you can, you can live however you want to live. You can do whatever you want to do, but you just can't do it with the blessings of God. You'll lose the peace of God. You'll lose the power of God in your life. You know why that you've been able to overcome some of your past? is because of the power of God. The power of God is something that's borrowed. And if you lose the power of God, the past is going to catch up with you. And, that, and it's going to be probably one of those three things that caused you to lose it. It's going to be, you got in some conversations, you got your mind off of God, you got your eyes off of the Lord, got your eyes on man, got your eyes off the Lord because of some conversations that took place. Or you hung around the wrong kind of person that may have been negative in heart and mind and spirit and not much faith. And then something happened where that there was some misunderstandings or there was some lack of communication or maybe you felt like you weren't treated just right or your family wasn't treated just right. Somebody said something to somebody that you love and you took offense to that. You could give up and you could just give a whole list of things. I can easily find a reason to get my feelings hurt. And I, you can be like a balloon and walk in here and everybody is a sharp pin. And as soon as you bump into somebody, man, you just shrink up spiritually. Or you can walk in here like a bowling ball. And them same pins, buddy, they just kind of bounce off. And I've been around some porcupine Christians, buddy. I mean, you bump against them, they, they're hard to get along with. That's why I don't hang around them a lot. Okay, but I'm just telling you, though, this thing about resolving your conflicts. And listen, this is what the Holy Ghost told me to tell you tonight. And I pray that you listen. Those of you at home, some of you have been listening to too many people. Some of you have been talking to too many people, wrong kind of people. You've been hanging around the wrong kind of folks. Listen, you're going to lose your momentum, your joy, your purpose, your peace. I promise you that. (laughs) I didn't write this book, but I believe it and I preach it. I believe this. Look with me, please, in Philippians. Now, look over in chapter number 4. Look at this. How do you resolve conflicts? How do you resolve conflicts? As far as I know, right now, and I might fall out with you, some of you, before I leave tonight, but as far as I know, right now, I'm not in a conflict with anybody that I'm aware of, that I'm aware of. And when I am aware of it, then I try to search my heart to see if it's justified in what did I do. And I try my very best not to walk around with my feelings showing too too much because somebody will step on them. Amen? But look look in Philippians 4. Look at what he says here. He says in verse number, I think it's verse number 2. He said, I beseech you, Dias, and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, we don't know who these two women were. But obviously it had gotten so bad that Paul had to address it in one of the epistles. And their names have been recorded throughout history and repeated over and over in every Baptist church and everybody that reads their Bible. Why? Because the book of Philippians is about the gospel and the unity of the church and having the same mind and being of one accord and them being a giving church and a going church and a caring church. And he knew that if people did not resolve their conflicts that that would come to an end. It would affect the whole ch- infect the whole church. Now watch this. <clears throat> he said, now listen, how did he address that? He did not say, okay, listen, now I know that, uh, listen, I, I know Yodias, I know her, I know it was her fault. Yodias, apologize to Syntyche, and we'll get over, we'll get past this. That's not what he said. He said, I don't even need to know all the facts. I don't even need to hear both sides of the story. He said, both of you need to be of the same mind in the Lord, and you can fix that yourselves. You don't always have to have a peacemaker. You've got a peacekeeper inside of you. And the scripture says this, be of the same mind in the Lord. 
All right? Look with me in chapter number 2 and look in verse number 2. You see, the reason why he said this is because people with conflict grieve the Holy Ghost and it discourages pastors and leaders. That's why he had made the statement, Fulfill ye my joy. Because when people are in conflict, it affects the joy of leadership. Because he's limited to what he can do to fix it. If they don't want to fix it. But if a person chooses to fear God, they can fix it. It's a choice. And so he says here, when he talks about being of the same mind, you know what that means? It means having the same... Well, let's look over at another passage and I'll show you what I mean by this. Look over in chapter number 2. Look in chapter number 2 of Philippians. Look in verse 2. He says, Fulfill you my joy that you be what? Like-minded? There it is again. Having the same love. So if you'll love the same person, you'll be like-minded. Who is that person? It's Jesus Christ your Lord. Having the same love. Do you love Him? Didn't Jesus say, if you love me, obey me? Wasn't that proof of your love? Was your obedience to Him? Fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded. Having the same love. And look at this. Having the same love means your love for Jesus, your love for Jesus Christ our Savior, your love for the gospel, and your love for your church. He said having the same love. And then he said being of one accord. By George, that's, uh, that's singing the same song in the right harmony. And that means harmony of minds and an agreement of wills, that you love the Lord Jesus Christ and you want to please Him and you want to be single-minded and you love Him. And he says, of one mind mean unity around the will of God. Now look at this in verse 3. He says, let nothing be done through strife. Could you tell me what is the bottom line of strife and contention? What is it? Pride. Contention cometh only by pride. Pride is I will, not thy will. And buddy, I tell you what, we can be very strong-willed, but we can also be very self-willed. And we can, you know, I think it's sort of like when Jesus told Peter that he was going to go to the cross and die for our sins, and Peter said, oh, not so, Lord. Not so. No, you're not doing that. It did not appeal to his mind that this is the way this ought to be done. And so what did Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. The very ultimate pride character who was seeking his own will. And Peter learned from that. Peter learned from that. That sometimes we think we know what needs to be done, but really God knows best. Father truly does know best. Now look at this again, verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife. There's no need in arguing and fussing about some things. You know, I was thinking about Martha. Martha made things miserable for everybody else there at the house. She was cumbered about with much serving and she was complaining and she even, she even talked to the Lord and, and complained to Him and rebuked Him to some degree, telling Him what He ought to be doing. If you're going to serve the Lord, whether it be in the kitchen or whether it be in a Sunday school class or whether it be doing yard work or whether it be in the sound room or whether it be in the pulpit or whether it be singing up here or playing over here, you should be a joy to be around. People should be able to be blessed by just hanging out with you. Your spirit, your heart, and your attitude, and that you're not being contentious and strife, striving about every little thing that really doesn't matter because it, it's not about... God cares more about your unity than He does about your singing. Did you know that? Brother David Waller may be watching tonight, and uh, I want to use him as an illustration. I remember one time... I. 
I talked to him and about maybe getting a, a two or three people together and, and maybe singing in a trio or a quartet. And I said, I'd like for you to, to train them and maybe show them some things and maybe have them do some things for the church. And he looked at me and said, uh, no, you don't, you don't want me to do that. And what he meant by that was, he said, Brother Roger, he said, I am, I'm such a perfectionist about some of those things that I would make them miserable. That's what he said. He was honest about it. He would, he would make them miserable. He said, you, you don't want me. That's not my, you don't want me in that position. And he was honest about it. And so I'm saying that I don't want to make you miserable while you're serving here. I don't want to do that. I want you to enjoy being around your pastor. I want you to enjoy being around each other. And so if we do this thing for the right reason, we can do this together. All right? Now look what he says. The second thing is, is vainglory. Why do people fall out with each other? Well, sometimes it's because vainglory. That, that means being excited by your own performance. That it's about you. And that if you don't get the pat on the back or you don't get the credit or if you don't get recognized for what you do, you're offended by that. Or your child did not get recognized for doing something, but somebody else's did. Did you know that God has ways of testing you on this? That it may not be your turn. It may not be your son's turn that night. It may not be your daughter's turn that night. And just rejoice with somebody that's getting some encouragement. Your time will come. Your time will come when the Lord is ready to give it to you. But some folks, their ears are like, You ever seen back in the old days, especially these TV dishes that look like they look like a UFO flying saucers? They were so big. Did you know that some people's ears are like that? They walk around. Beep 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 beep. What did you say about me? Beep 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 beep. Oh, oh, you didn't. You didn't think that was very good. Beep 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 beep. I mean, all day, everywhere they go, listening to people's reaction and responses to what they have or have not done. That's vainglorious. When a preacher preaches, he should not listen for people to say, man, you sure are a good preacher. What, they, what he wants, if he's a good man and he loves God, he wants to hear them say, man, God gave me something tonight. That's what he wants to hear. God helped me tonight. That's what he wants to hear. All right, let's close this off now. Look what he says also. He says in verse number 3, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. This is a mindset you can fix and resolve most conflicts if you will start fixing your thought life about this and get off that pride factor and desire to please God. Man, I, I want Brother brother. Kenneth, I want the peace of God. Brother Craig, I want the power of God in my life. And if that means that I have to change the way I think about a situation, then so be it. Look what he says. Lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. And that's basically not being self-centered. That it's not about me. It's about me letting somebody step in front of me. And again, I use this illustration right here at the men, father, and son camp out, and this is a perfect time to use it again. Now, church, listen to me. You have an example of this before your very eyes. He's not here tonight, but his name is Doug Lair. You talk about somebody who was esteeming somebody else better than themselves for the sake of the church. Brother Doug is, if we were a baseball team, Brother Doug would be one of those utility players who is good at every position, who will fill in and fit in and do whatever needs to be done and do a good job at it. So whatever we've asked him to do, he does, and he stepped up and was leading singing for a while, and he enjoyed it, and I thought he did a good job at it. Brother Jason came to the church a few years ago. And Brother Doug 
had heard him and had talked with him, and he said, you know, I think that Brother Jason can do a better job than I can and can help the church more than me. And Brother Doug laid aside his ego and his selfishness and said, I want what is in the best interest of my church. And so he's the one who encouraged Brother Jason. He talked with me and said, would it be all right? I said, you talk to him. If you can talk him into getting up here, I said, have at it. You've got my permission. And so he encouraged him, and I encouraged him. And Brother Jason does a great job, and he's been, gift, he's been gifted for it and graced for that and trained for that. But the reason why he is in this position, not, not just Brother Doug, the Lord was in that, but because of a Christian who wanted what was in the best interest of his church family. As a pastor, I will tell you sincerely from my heart, when the day comes that I think that I cannot feed you or lead you and I think that somebody else can take you further, I want to be man enough and spiritual enough to step aside and to look for what is in your best interest. Do you understand? When you, you know, you can follow somebody like that who's looking out for your best interest. You can do that. Do you understand? This is what the Lord is saying that that's where unity comes in, that you want what's best and you know your limitations. Well, the Bible says here, you know, when you talk about esteeming others better than yourselves, you know what that means, Brother Lewis? It means <coughs> that you don't walk around with a spirit of superiority and looking down your nose at somebody, and they might, you may be better at what they do, but you don't walk around like you're better than them. That's because you can do it better than them. Amen? Young lady, God's blessed you with a great musical talents, but you've worked hard at it. But I also appreciate the fact that you don't walk around with an arrogant spirit about it. Maintain a great spirit about it and serve. And you do, and I appreciate that about you. I do. And God bless you for it. You encourage me. Instead of esteeming others better than yourselves, sometimes we get upset because nobody paid attention to us. And they're not esteeming us enough. Bottom line is, you want to resolve your conflicts, you be like Jesus. And that's why he said this, and I close with this thought in verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. What kind of mind did Jesus have? And he said, Father, I want to please you. And I'm going to serve. I'm going to submit myself. And I'm going to be a servant. That was Jesus' mindset to the fashion of even humbling himself and being obedient even to the death of the cross. You'll never be asked that. But I can humble myself, and so can you, when it comes to a conflict with a brother. A conflict with a brother. You can get sideways over silly things. You know that? You ever heard of the spirit of competition? You ever got involved with somebody in a, in, in, in a, in a just a sport? Somebody outdid you or whatever? Brother Kenneth and I, I play quite a bit of golf when he's around. He's good at it. He and I, we played, I don't know how many times we played, but there have been a few times of when there's been a, Rarely ever, ever any conflict or tension between us, but both of us being competitive. And as Brother Ron said, if you're going to play, you play to win. Okay? And so sometimes it's a little close, sometimes a little bit too close. And so we might get a little irritated with each other from time to time. But he and I have looked at each other and said, you know what? Golf is not worth, and winning is not worth hurting our fellowship with each other. And we believe that. And I feel real good about it, especially when I beat him. You understand? But I am saying that, you said, you've got to let some things go. If you're going to resolve some conflicts, sometimes you just got to let some things go. The Bible says that, that uh, love covers a multitude of faults. Love covers a multitude of sins. You watch a family that gathers together, that are grown, and they gather together around their, their parents. I promise you that they don't, the parents don't agree with everything that's going on in their kids' lives. 
but those kids still feel comfortable to be around mom and dad because mom and dad has learned that love can cover a multitude of faults and we can still have some things in common and be able to at least be together for a little while. Can you do that at church? Hmm? For the sake of the gospel? Keep your momentum. Next time you get real discouraged and down and out and you're thinking about quitting, I ask you to check yourself. Who have I been talking to? What have I personally been saying with my own mouth? And why am I at conflict and sideways with somebody? John said I need to be in fellowship in this direction so that I can be in fellowship in this direction. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the good word of God, and I pray the Holy Ghost would minister to our people. I love these people and those at home, Lord, that I know hopefully we're able to watch tonight. God, I pray that you'd move in their hearts as well. Bless our church. Protect us, God. Help our folks that are not feeling well to rebound quickly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.